good morning, gang. How many of you have World Cup fever? Raise your hand. Any World Cup fever? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, how many care less? All right. Okay, there you go. <laughs> well, here's a picture of the American flag furled out at one of these games. And uh, then we see in Grant Park here, uh, thousands of people went to Grant Park uh, to watch these games and will continue to. I don't know about the size of that screen. I know it's a big screen, but <laughs> I guess it's a crowd energy uh, that they go uh, for. Now, this next picture, uh, we start to see uh, why we don't get so excited as, a, as Americans about soccer. It's a zero to one game. And that's considered a really, really good game. And we Americans, we, we like to run the score up, right? A uh, good game is a lot of points, typically, unless we're an aficionado. For example, you go to a baseball game, it's 0-1, to one, all great pitchers do, and I say, forget it, I want to see some runs. I mean, just celebrating once during the game, that will not do it for me, okay? I need more check marks where I can celebrate uh, throughout the game. Now, the other thing about this is that this was a good thing for the United States, Okay, <laughs> this this moved them forward. And that just does not make any sense whatsoever. In fact, let me show you something. This is America's World Cup outlook before uh, the game with Portugal. Here's all the different possibilities. Win twice, advance to the knockout stage. Oh, makes sense. Win once and draw once, advance. Okay, draw twice, advance. Huh? Win once and lose once, almost certainly advance. There's only one highly unlikely mathematical exception. We don't want to think that hard. <laughs> right? Here we go to the next slide. And it says lose twice and almost certainly go out. Duh. There's one, oh, there's one highly unlikely math. <laughs> they could lose twice and still get in. Draw once and lose once, it gets complicated. What are you talking about? It's complicated already. It's considerably better for the U.S. to draw against Portugal and lose to Germany than the other way around. Hey, I don't want to think that hard when I'm watching sports. Okay? That's why Americans are crazy about the World Cup when the U.S. is winning, but really could care less otherwise. Uh, you know, a kindergarten game is better. You know, you got 25 to nothing. <laughs> Something of that nature. <laughs> no, soccer is a great sport, and uh, I know a lot of people enjoy it. But I'm just talking about America in general. Uh, they're not in love with soccer for those reasons and others, and we didn't grow up on it. You see, we here in the United States, uh, we like to uh, win or lose. We want to know where we're at. We want to know whether we, we succeed or fail. And today we're going to talk a little more about Peter's failure and how it was a big failure and talk about God's grace. In fact, we're concluding this series on Jesus Christ and how he discipled Peter as part of our disciple-driven emphasis, learning lessons about how to disciple other people in our lives, our kids, uh, mutual discipleship in marriage and mutual discipleship with other uh, Christ followers. And it's so important that we walk people through their failures and just continue to show them the love and grace 
of Jesus Christ. And I always want to encourage you, take out your green sheet there in your program and take notes. And again, you do remember more when you write it down. You really do. And so write those notes out. This is very important information because, again, if we're a disciple-making community, you're not here just to learn for yourself. You're here to learn to teach other people. I want to encourage you to... How many have done that over the last several months? How many have shared this, taken a message, taken the questions, and just talked to your wife, your kids about it? Just out of curiosity. Okay, good, excellent, thank you. Uh, But friends, when you take that initiative, especially just to share it with your kids, tell them this story about Peter and how God restored him. Or or talk about it with a friend. Uh, Again, it becomes more a part of your memory and as you teach it to another person or share it with another person, again, it becomes uh, more real and more indelible in uh, your mind. So, uh, we're going to take a look at this. First of all, let's uh, review Peter's failure. We talked about this last week, his denial of Jesus Christ. And again, throughout Peter's life with Jesus, as we've reviewed many times, he, he did not disagree with Jesus when he said, I'm going to go to the cross and die. And Peter said, no, 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 that's not going to happen, Jesus. Well, he came to the Garden of Gethsemane, and the soldiers came, and Peter decided to play whack-a-mole with 300 soldiers. <laughs> he only took off an ear with his sword. Uh, Malchus is here, and Jesus Christ put it back on. And, and then they took Jesus Christ away, and Peter followed them. And he got into the courtyard where the trials were taking place, and woman came up and said, hey, you were with Jesus Christ. And he denies, I don't even know the man. Second time, another person came up. And again, these were the crowd scene and a lot of people were around listening. And then he, he says an oath. He pledges an oath. I do not know the man. So he lies twice about his relationship with Christ. And then finally, we see in Matthew 26, 74, then he began to invoke a curse on himself, which means may God destroy me if I'm lying and to swear, oath again, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Well, just again at that same time, we see in Luke, Jesus Christ might have been passing through the courtyard at that time, we don't know. But he locked eyes with Peter and the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how much he had said to him before, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. He remembered. It sunk in. He finally got it. Then in Matthew twenty six seventy five, and he went out and wept bitterly, which means he wept audibly. He was just heaving with grief. And we don't see this moment recorded in the Scripture, but can you imagine that? I mean, if you think you failed God in any way, Peter failed God in a bigger way. He had denied that he even knew Jesus Christ, his Lord. You can imagine that dark moment, and maybe you've experienced those dark moments when you've realized how much you failed God, and you're filled with shame. You're filled with just uh, abject despair sometimes. You're overcome by your sin. You, uh, you feel so alone. You don't want to be around people, obviously, when 
when you've gone through something like this. Uh, he certainly probably thought that that uh, he was out of uh, the fishing for men business, and Jesus would never ask him to be involved again because of what he had done. What happened in that moment is, is that this curtain, this mask of pride in Peter's life, had been ripped in half. And he saw himself for who he was. A sinful, prideful man who thought he could do it, who thought he could even overcome Jesus Christ's statements about the future. <laughs> oh man, he was a broken man. As we talked about last week, if you really want to be used by God, you have to go through some type of broken experience that breaks down your self-confidence, I can do it on my own, in order that your God-confidence might grow. Well, let's move on to Jesus Christ's grace. Easter Sunday, okay? Uh, the disciples report in Luke 24, 34, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. After he appeared to the women, the first person that he appeared to was Peter, the one who had denied him. Now, they all had abandoned Jesus Christ. They all you know, took off. They're all kind of in the same boat. But certainly Peter is a leader, and because of what he had done, felt worse about it. That's the first person that Jesus went to. You know, we're kind of like, if somebody did that, well, I'll get to them whenever I get a chance. But because of God's incredible grace, he knows that Peter is hurting. And he wants to talk with Peter. Uh, Paul records in 1 Corinthians that he was buried. And he's talking just about the, the gospel. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. So again, the idea, he appeared to Peter first. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Uh, Peter was speechless, which typically, of course, was not the case. And Jesus Christ appeared to him. And... Uh, I, mean, I can imagine... Jesus Christ is coming to him, wrapping his arms around him, saying, Peter, I love you so much. I forgive you for what you did. I told you this was going to happen, okay? But I forgive you. My grace is there for you. <laughs> You're still on the team, man. I love you. And, and you can't do it on your own, can you? You need me. Who knows what was said? But again, that, that relationship was reestablished with Jesus Christ. And it's the same thing with us. You know, maybe you're here today, and as we talked about last week, uh, you have blown in the past, and you're still hanging on to that. You're still regretting it. Satan's still you know, saying, how can you call yourself this, or how can you do that because you did this? Well, friends, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. So what I want you to do is to have an Easter meeting with Jesus Christ today. If you're still struggling with a sin in your past, to go to God. Maybe you want a journal. 
Maybe you just want to pray to Him and say, Lord, I'm still struggling. I know that You've forgiven me. I pray that You would help me. I pray You empower me through Your Spirit to fully realize the grace that You've bestowed upon me. Uh, it says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession means I was wrong. Now again, all of our sins are forgiven at the cross. And we rejoice because of that. We're holy in God's sight. But again, our relationship with God, our relational intimacy with God changes from day to day. His love never changes, but it does change in terms of how we respond to Him. And therefore, that's why confession of sins is so important. Even though they're forgiven, uh, when we sin against God, uh, God, again, is not pleased with that. His love never changes, but we don't experience His love in the same way, even though it's there, but we've chosen to step away from His love. But when we confess our sins and say, God, I was wrong, then that, that fellowship, that relational intimacy is restored. Hebrews 4 to 16, and then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, my encouragement to you, if you have some sin in the past that you keep thinking about that disqualifies you from whatever, uh, that maybe even other people keep bringing up, you just need to continue to go back to the cross and say, my sins are forgiven. And, and there's no condemnation in Christ. He has freed me from the penalty of my sin. And maybe you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, you're here today. Thank you for being here. It's so good to have you as you seek after God. And Maybe when we talk about this personal relationship and walking with Jesus and praying to Him, you just can't relate to that. Well, maybe you need to make that, well, I would encourage you to make the decision uh, to come to God and say, I can't do it on my own. I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness that you uh, provided for me on the cross. You paid the penalty for my sin, and I want you to be my Savior and Lord. In fact, on that green insert at the bottom of the back page, there's a website you can go to that more completely uh, explains that. Uh, Peacewithgod.net, or please come forward uh, with our prayer team at the end, and they would love to share with you about how to establish a relationship with Christ. Now we want to look at Peter's restoration. Peter's restoration. We look at John 21, 1. Uh, this is the only gospel this story is recorded in. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Now, Jesus Christ had his glorified body. Now, he could be identified as Christ. And that's interesting because we're going to have a glorified body just like Jesus when uh, we... We get to heaven, and uh, it's going to be a, a very unique body. Uh, Jesus Christ, as we saw here on earth, uh, could walk through walls. He could appear and, and uh, disappear. He could make himself invisible, all those different types of things. So looking at Jesus Christ and his glorified body gives us some insights into what our glorified bodies will look like. So... Uh, he uh, chose to reveal himself at a certain point. We'll see that. Uh, now, it looks, look at verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. 
So you have um, one, two, three, four, five, you know, six, seven people. We're in all the disciples. And Simon Peter said to them in verse 3, he said, I'm going fishing. Maybe I like to fish. And, all right, there's some great fishermen out there. Uh, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. They went out into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, that's a very significant verse because you can interpret it in a couple of ways. Now, some people say, well, they just wanted to go fishing. They like fishing, right? <laughs> well, no. From, from the context of uh, what I've studied here, uh, this, was, this was Peter going back to his old life. Jesus Christ wasn't around that he could see, and uh, he was going back to his default mode. I mean, he was commissioned, of course, uh, to lead the early church, but he was a man of action, and he didn't want to wait around. So he went back to his old career. I mean, he took his boat out. If you look in the original languages, it talks about the boat, the boat that they fished in, and they went out, and they were doing the work that they had done before. And isn't that true? Even though we are children of, of the King, even though we have been given this wonderful uh, commission to love people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and disciple them, even though the Holy Spirit is within us, so many times we return to our default ways. We return to the old patterns in our life. And that's exactly what Peter was doing uh, here. And they caught nothing. Why did they catch nothing? Because Jesus Christ was sending them a message. He was keeping the fish away from the boat because he wanted to recommission them. Uh, then verse 4, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So he was, again, concealing himself at this point. And then verse 5, Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. Now children, it's a little misleading in the English, uh, in the Greek, it speaks of, hey, you guys over there. <laughs> they didn't know it was Jesus. Why would he call them children, you know, in our language at least? Uh, he said, hey, you guys over there. All right? That's how he's uh, kind of designating them. They don't know who he is. He doesn't know who they are in this context. Uh, then we look at verse 6. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, it's not like they hadn't been doing this all night, trying different sides of the boat, right? So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, what does this remind you of? Remember? When Jesus Christ did the same miracle when he first formally called Peter into ministry. So this whole chapter is about the restoration of all the disciples into ministry, but especially Peter. Right, look at verse uh, 7. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now, that's John referring uh, to himself. And he knew it was Jesus Christ right away. I mean, uh, they remembered that day very, very uh, significantly. And he said, It is the Lord. He said it to Peter. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Don't you just love that? Jesus, excuse me, Peter's passion for Jesus Christ. As we look at, at Peter's life in the midst of his sin, uh, just like us, 
You know, he had this tremendous love for Christ. He, he just wanted to be with Christ. And when he knew it was Christ, he already had that one meeting with him. And, and he knew it was good to go, right? <laughs> he wanted to be with Jesus. And friends, you know, when we look at the Christian life, God has saved us. He, he has made us holy in order that we might become more like Jesus. In order that we might love Him more and more each day. And the more and more we love Him through the power of the Holy Spirit, not on our own power, the more He reveals Himself to us and the more rich life becomes. When we focus our lives on Jesus Christ, not on other things, not the, going back to default mode in terms of those things that have satisfied us and satisfied us in the past. Uh, and so Peter just puts his cloak on. He doesn't want to show up in his loincloth. I mean, Jesus, right? <laughs> it's kind of hard to, to swim in his large cloak, but he didn't care. He could care less. He just wanted to be with Jesus. Now, the other disciples, they were a little more <laughs> not impulsive, I guess. Uh, the other disciples came in the boat in verse 8, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from land for about 100 yards off. Then verse 9, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. So Jesus Christ had made breakfast. How does Jesus Christ make breakfast? I'm not sure. Maybe he, you know, did it the old-fashioned way like us. Or maybe he said, you know, fire, <laughs> fish, bread. <laughs> We're not sure. But uh, we look in verse 10. Jesus said, and bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad, aboard that is, and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. 153 of them. I don't know who counted them. Maybe Jesus Christ is 153. Um, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Another miracle. They knew the, te the net would be torn, but it wasn't torn. Then they go on in verse uh, 12 and 13. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew who was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. Uh, and so with the fish. You got to love this, guys. You've got to love this. I mean, here's Jesus Christ. Here are the guys that he had trained, that he had invested in, that he had poured his life into. And at the moment of crisis, they all abandon him. I don't know about you, but maybe I'd uh, have them do laps around the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> it's like, we've got to get you guys back in shape. All right? This is what you get for abandoning me. Now, that's what the law does, right? Uh, no, no, he he made breakfast for him. That's grace, right? He made breakfast for him and then he served it to him. That's God's grace. That's how much Jesus Christ loves you. And so many times just because of churches you've grown, grown up in and just messages you've picked up along the way, you know, the angry God complex. God's always angry at me. No, God's not angry at you. If you're a Christ follower, He's forgiven you of all your sins. If you're not a Christ follower, He wants you to come in relationship uh, with Him. Uh, God just wants to care for you. I just think that's so cool. He made breakfast for Him, and then He served it uh, to Him. 
Verse 14, this is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, verse 15 is uh, where we see Simon Peter being restored and reinstated into his leadership position among the disciples. So they finished breakfast, they were sitting around talking. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. There's a lot to unpack here. First of all, Jesus says, you love me more than these. What's he talking about? These. Well, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? I don't think Jesus Christ would ask that question. That's not a fair question. He never compares the love that we have uh, for him. Uh, or it could be, do you love Jesus uh, more than the other disciples? That doesn't make sense. Uh, but I think really what he was referring to was he was referring to the nets and the boats. Peter had gone back to his old life. He went back to default mode like all of us do. And, you know, I'm tired of waiting on Jesus. I'm going to go back to what used to work for me, right? And so Jesus Christ was saying, Peter, you, you've gone back to fishing again. And remember, that's what I called you away from. So do you really love your career in this sense, more than you love me? You love your old life more than the new life that I introduced you uh, to? That's the question. Now, let's go back. So, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, as you know, there are three different uh, words for love in the Greek language. Eros, a sexual type of love. And you have philea, which is a friendship type of love. Then you have agape, which is the purest form of love, an unconditional type of love, the love that Jesus Christ has for us. So, in the Greek, we'll see these particular words used, and they're, they're different, but we don't pick that up in the English version. Simon, son of John, Jesus Christ asks, do you agape me? Do you love me with a, with a pure love, with a strong love? And what is... What does uh, Peter say? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Philea, a friendship type of love. Philadelphia, that's why they named it Philadelphia, city of friendship. Uh, so, so, you know, it's interesting here because this is a total, totally different Peter, right? Back in the day, Peter would have said, hey, agape love is not good enough for me. I'm going to make up a new word that's even greater than agape love because I'm a super lover. <laughs> but he's a broken man. And he realizes that he's proven it through and through. So he goes uh, to the lower type of love. Because, you know, he, he can't claim agape love. But he says, well, yeah, Lord, I, I love you. But I'm not going to use that other word because certainly I have not, uh, that's not been seen in my life. Then he said to him, feed my lambs. 
take care of my sheep. He's talking about the disciples. He's talking about the early church that Peter was going to become the leader of. That's your job. That's your calling. Not to fish. Now, there's nothing wrong with fishing or having being a commercial fisherman. But the point here is that, Peter, I've called you away from that. And you've gone back to it. No. I want to restore you. I want to let you know what I've called you to do. Well, we go to the next verse, verse 16. He asked him three times, right? Because Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Again, the agape word, uh, the unconditional type of love, the best type of love. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then again, the friendship type of love. And he said to him, ten, my sheep. Then verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, it's interesting. He comes down to Peter's level. He says, do you friendship love me? Which was really discouraging to Peter. It's kind of like Jesus. I mean, I was questioning my love for him. Now, in a sense, Jesus is questioning my love for him. So Peter was grieved, I think partially because of this reason, in terms of the word that God used for love. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. He's appealing to his omniscience, right? You know, you know what's in my heart. You know that I love Philea, friendship love. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And that was a restoration of Peter. That's what, that was Jesus Christ bringing him back. But it's interesting the question he kept asking is, do you love me? And again, that tells us about what the Christian life is all about. Is that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us in order that we might grow more and more in love with Jesus Christ and that be reflected in, in everything that we do. And yeah, we're going to struggle along the way and uh, we're going to continue to struggle with sin and all those different types of things. But... You know, throughout the years, you know, we're asking that our love for Jesus would grow. Our passion for Jesus would grow. Our desire to spend time with Jesus would grow. To serve Jesus would grow. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, talking to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. And that was a common phrase to talk about crucifixion in that day. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. So he's saying, Peter, you're going to be crucified. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I think that uh, Peter was excited about this. Because it was another opportunity to prove his love for the Lord. He said, now I can, I can really prove my love. Not through his own strength. He realized that did not work. But through the spirit that was to come. That, that he was going to do this. I mean, Jesus Christ predicted it. And, and now, now Peter knew that whatever Jesus Christ predicted, it was going to go down. So he knew that he was going to remain faithful to Jesus Christ throughout his life. That would end up in his martyrdom. And that, I think, 
filled Peter with confidence now. Uh, if we were told that, <laughs> we might have a different response, right? Different context. But it's interesting in Matthew 16, 24, that Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross. Take up the cross bar. It's interesting back in that day that uh, Judas of Galilee was a traitor. And what they did, he was leading a revolution. And so they, they took the people in his revolution, like 2,000 of them, and they crucified them all together along the paths of Galilee. So everybody was very much aware of crucifixion because they had walked those streets during that period and just seen person after person being crucified. So when he says, take up his cross, you know, each of those guys carried their own cross beam uh, to the location where they were going to be crucified. It was very real to them. Right? Wow. That's a pretty strong call a commitment, isn't it? If you want to follow me, let him deny himself, our default patterns, the way that we have approached life in a sinful way in the past, and take up his cross and follow me. That's something to reflect upon, right? Because of our American society especially, and our own selfish nature. You know, we, we view sometimes Jesus Christ as a, uh, a value add-on, right? We add Jesus Christ to our life, another way of getting what we want. But that's not how Jesus Christ defines being a follower of Christ, of himself. He says, you've got to deny everything this world offers. Not that you can't enjoy it, the different things. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that you need to give yourself over to Christ and uh, just experience whatever happens. And again, I believe, you know, in our nation, uh, persecution is coming uh, to the church. You know, you look at where things are going. You think of all the technologies out there to track things. You think about the end times, and I don't know how soon it will come, uh, but it's going to come. And uh, the churches won't have as many people in them because all those people who are using Jesus as a way to get what they wanted, they're saying, I'm out of here, man. I don't want to be imprisoned. I don't want to, uh, again, uh, have things taken away from me, not have certain privileges, which we see happening already in other nations, right? Persecuted Christ followers. Uh, so look at this last verse here with me. We look at uh, John fourteen twenty one. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is it the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Again, that's God's desire, is that we love Him. Now, He loves us perfectly, but He wants us to grow in His love as we experience His grace, as we experience walking with Him, staying so close to Him on a daily basis. And that love will just continue to grow. And it will be the richest thing that we experience in life because all the things the world promises, usually it doesn't deliver... <laughs> It doesn't deliver in the long run, sometimes in the short run. But uh, as we grow older in life, you know, you know, you realize 
that uh, even more so. You, you, when you live a lot of years, you realize the world does not deliver. Hopefully you realize that. Uh, and you really understand, hey, it's all about Jesus. Now, hopefully people can realize that earlier in life to a greater degree. But uh, there's a maturing process that goes on. So my desire for you as your pastor, as you move throughout this summer, is that you would uh, just continue to, again, first of all, if you've got baggage in your life uh, that you're condemning yourself for, you've got to have an Easter experience with God. If you don't know Jesus, you have to have an Easter experience with God, experience His grace and love. And then as you go throughout this summer, just be thinking about how much God loves you and ask the Holy Spirit that He would draw you closer to Jesus Christ. That your love for Jesus would grow. And that can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different people's lives. But that's my, uh, my prayer uh, for you. Well, let's pray together. Oh, Lord, thank you for this uh, powerful study of Peter's life. Thank you for all the things that we've learned. Thank you for what we've learned about how we can disciple other people in our lives. How we can, in this case, show them all kinds of grace and love and continue to walk with them even through difficult times and help them to see Jesus in difficult circumstances. Lord, I pray for my friends. And I, you know, summer, it depends on, you know, people's summer, but sometimes it slows down a little bit. And uh, I pray that they would take some extra time with you, uh, extra time reading your word, extra time spending with Christian friends, uh, talking about you, um, extra time just reflecting about your love and how much you, you love them and how there's no condemnation in you. In Christ's name, amen.